We are so glad that you're with us today here on the Upper West Side. And uh, we're kicking off a, a new series across the church called Sacred Rhythms. Sacred Rhythms. And we're going to, over the coming weeks, different ones of us are going to be speaking to the rhythm of life as we walk with Jesus, there's a, there's a rhythm to following Jesus. And, and today I want to speak to the rhythm of, of our prayer. In fact, the title of the message is Big Prayers to an Even Bigger God. There ought to be a rhythm to our prayer. Most of us, you know, if we're familiar with the things of God at all or around the house of God at all, we, we understand that prayer is an important part of our faith. And, but I think in reality, often prayer... Uh, become something relegated to um, being done at church, or if at all. <laughs> or uh, prayer becomes something that we do as a kind of a rote, memorized thing before a meal. Or prayer becomes really more mechanical, actually, than personal. Uh, it becomes more, perhaps, religious than relational in nature. Uh, or, you know, prayer, even, even at best for many, I think prayer becomes this sort of thing that we do as a desperate last ditch effort. <laughs> if all else fails, you know, <laughs> we'll pray. The nuclear option is we'll pray. Uh, the reality is, is it doesn't need to be some kind of a last ditch effort or reserved for the one holy day of the week. No such thing, right? Of course, there's nothing wrong with praying before a meal. I'm not criticizing that. We ought to pray in the house of God. Amen to that. But actually, it ought to just be part of a rhythm of prayer in our life that is woven through the day in and the day out. That's what this series is about. We're going to talk about worship as a rhythm of life, reading and learning from the Word of God as a rhythm of life, thriving in community as part of a rhythm of life for followers of Jesus. I was... Um, Last weekend with our, our new London community, which by the way is doing really well. We launched just over a month ago. Um, incredible story. Even just on launch Sunday alone had 10 decisions for Christ, which is incredible. And last Sunday I was back there for um, their fourth weekend. I was teaching a message. We always, each new community launches with a series on our vision and values. We're talking about follow Jesus, thriving community, make a difference. Last weekend I taught, taught out love and truth. Six more people gave their lives uh, to Jesus last weekend, including a lady um, who's, who's grown up Muslim and just encountered Christ in a powerful way, and, which is awesome. Uh, yeah, praise God. And Peter Rendell, he, he and his family actually moved from New York with their five kids. Amazing. Little ones right through teenagers. One of their um, boys with special needs and um, spina, spina bifida and um, moved their whole family over to, there to help with the launch of the church. Peter and Laura run our London prayer team. And before the service, uh, in the team meeting, Peter said this. He said, instead of doing everything we can and then praying, if it doesn't work, <laughs> why don't we pray as our first response and then do something if we still need to after prayer. I was like, that's a really powerful way of thinking about it, right? Why do we leave it as our last resort if all of our human efforts fail? Why wouldn't we first pray and then maybe uh, take a nap because God's already done all the things we were trying to do in our own strength, right? Now, to be honest, I have found the development of a consistent prayer life one of the most challenging parts for me personally of my journey of faith. I think all of us, find different things come more easily and other things perhaps come with more difficulty, with more effort. That for me has been a challenge. I do pray and I see glimpses of breakthrough moments. I see glimpses of the intimacy that's possible, the impact that's possible in prayer. But I've often felt like when I pray, I had the attention span of a goldfish and um, 
And so I start to pray, and heaven help me if I pray for a person or anything that's about church life, because my brain goes right into to-do list mode in a millisecond. I find myself, I've got out my project management tool, and I was like, wait, what was I doing? Oh, that's right. Sorry, Lord. I was praying, right? Very easily distracted. So over the years, when I would hear people um, talk about how they get up at 4 a.m. and pray for two or three hours, I know I was supposed to feel inspired, but I mostly felt really discouraged, (laughs) Did anybody else feel that way? No show of hands. I mean, oh, well, you know what? You showed your hands. I'm, I, I guess I'm, I'm about bearing it all anyway. But I was like somewhere between discouragement and sometimes even honestly, and this is not good, but I would feel shame around that. Like, oh God, I need to be better at praying. And yet he's so gracious in leading each of us in the areas where we need to grow. So why am I, why am I saying all of that? Really just to say that I'm ministering today out of something that, that for me, is one of the areas I'm most focused on continuing to grow in. This is a work in progress, in other words. And I'm grateful for incredible intercessors who stand with me in prayer. It's my habit. In fact, some of my intercessors are in this room. It's my habit sometimes every week, if not every other week, to send them a list of things that I'm thinking about, struggling with, working through, praying for, believing for, and they stand together with me in prayer, lift up my hands. And as they do, my prayer life grows stronger too. I'm really glad that the disciples asked Jesus about prayer. Because obviously, I mean, you know, this is like, This is the best possible opportunity. You've got an internship under Jesus. Hello, son of God, son of man. When he prays, incredible things happen. I mean, the Bible says like, and all the people were healed. I mean, Jesus, he's like, he's calming storms. He's raising the dead, the blind see, the lame walk. And so on one occasion, the disciples actually said to Jesus, teach us, teach us how to pray. In Luke's account of the gospel, that's the setup here. We're going to read from Matthew's account, but... In Luke's account, the disciples say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. By the way, what I love about this is that they didn't say, teach us what to pray. And I think this is where some of us go a little bit wrong with a classic prayer like we're about to study because it sounds very familiar. And so it's very easy for us to zone it out. La, 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 yeah, the Lord's Prayer. Of course, I know the Lord's Prayer. Even people who don't follow Jesus never go to church know the Lord's Prayer. Okay, but... The point wasn't just to teach us what to pray, as if this was only something to memorize and repeat. Well, it is that, because it's a powerful template for our prayer, but actually more powerfully within it is not only what to pray, here are the words, pray these, but actually how to pray. The principles of prayer are embedded in these verses. I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can go there to Matthew chapter 6, but we'll also have it on the screen. I'm going to read to you today from... The New Living Translation, and this is, this is what it says, picking it up in verse 5. Jesus says, when you pray, oh, by the way, he doesn't say if you pray, notice. <laughs> when, <laughs> embedded command, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners hmm, and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. That's going to be important. We're coming back to that. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. And then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. Your father, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Pray like this. Our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. 
may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. That's Jesus' prayer here. Rescue us from the evil one. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. This passage here, Jesus teaches us how to pray. Teaches us a sort of prayer that draws us close to God, who yearns. He's a, we just sang about it. He's a good, good father. He yearns to draw close to us. But like in any relationship, we have a choice here to draw near to him. A sacred rhythm of prayer draws us near to God and unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Here's the thing. God is for you. God is for you and he desires to lead your life. And if you believe that, then you're going to pray big prayers. You're going to dream big dreams. You're going to pray audacious kind of prayers out of the conviction, God is for me. The Bible says, if God is for me, who can be against me? That I am an overcomer. I'm a son or a daughter of the most high living God. Out of that kind of the conviction of God's heart toward you, you're going to pray big prayers. On the other hand, If you don't believe that, that God is for you, that God desires uh, to lead you, you know what? If you pray at all, you tend to pray small prayers, timid prayers, because all the while we're questioning, does God even like me? (laughs) Is God even there? Does God care about me? I mean, he's powerful, but is he trying to zap me? You know what I mean? When When we have that kind of a life, it comes out in our rhythm of prayer is damaged by a small view of God. One way or another, Big prayers or, or timid, fear-filled prayers instead of faith-filled, fear-filled prayers, uh, they change the trajectory of your life. In fact, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if we've got kind of envy in our hearts, that comes out in our words, right? If we've got greed in our hearts, it comes out in our words. If we've got love and grace in our hearts, it comes out in our words. But you know what? It also comes out not just in the words to each other, but it comes out in our prayers, I've been reflecting on how revealing my prayers are of what's actually happening in here. E.M. Bounds, he said, God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be, and the mightier the forces against evil. Prayer, it's a powerful thing. And I want to share from the verses that I just read, I want to unpack from these verses today just from the nine key verses where Jesus taught us how to pray, nine simple lessons that we can all learn from about the power of prayer, nine lessons from Christ. The first is this, if you're taking notes. So the first thing I believe Jesus is teaching us here is to pursue intimacy, not image. Pursue intimacy, not image. We're going to literally go verse by verse here. Let's go back to verse five. I read it already. It's, he said, when you pray... He says, don't be like the hypocrites. By the way, this word hypocrite, we think of it as a religious word now, but in Jesus' day, it wasn't. That was a word he co-opted from Greek theater, actually. A hypocrite was, a, was an actor in a play. Hip, the hypocrite was the character that wore a mask, right? So that's revealing, isn't it? Jesus says, hey, don't be mask wearers. That's what he's saying. Don't just play a part. That's what he's saying, right? When we pray, don't just play the part. 
It says the hypocrites do what? They, they love to play pub, pray publicly. There's a key word. Publicly, on street corners, in the synagogues, here we go, where everyone can see them. He says, I tell you the truth, that's all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away, listen, by yourself. So what's this about? By yourself, for me, that speaks to this idea of intimacy. In other words, it's about relationship with God. It's the opposite of the mask-wearing hypocrite, the show who's praying on a street corner or in a synagogue, you know, in order to be noticed by other people where everyone can see them. Jesus is saying, hey, pray, pray by yourself. Shut the door behind you. Pray to your father. Listen, in private, it's this beautiful, intimate rhythm of life. And it says, then your father who sees everything will reward you. Intimacy, not image. You know, uh, as we're walking with God, one of the things for us here, if we're going to be authentic in our prayers, to to be ourselves, to be authentic in our relationship with God, to be authentic in our, in our prayer. And not even some kind of an image of what we think we're supposed to be or do or say or even sound like. Have you ever been the person or been around the person praying maybe in a more public setting and their voice suddenly changes? It's like they talk like a normal person until the moment that they pray and then suddenly their voice gets deeper or they can't say Lord anymore. It's Lord, you know, like he's got an extra syllable on his name, you know, and then, or they, suddenly they talk in old English. Yea, verily, thus saith the Lord. You know what I mean? It's like, what happened to you? You know, and they got an English accent now, but they don't normally. Like I'm making fun, but like, honestly, isn't that what happens sometimes? It's like, it's like, what are, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? You don't have to change your voice. You don't have to change your words. You don't have to pray only in front of other people, Right? Why does Jesus warns us against this? Because he says it's a very dangerous thing because underneath it, right? The NIV translation, I read the New Living. The NIV says uh, that they do this, and this is the quote, to be seen by others. Well, doesn't that tell you everything? Jesus is not, to be clear, Jesus is not teaching against public prayer here, right? We pray in church. We just did it right now, right? That's not what Jesus is talking about. It's all about motive, See, the hypocrite does it. The person who's concerned about image instead of intimacy does it because they want to be noticed by others, to be seen by others. That's their motive. And Jesus says, if that's what you want, if that's the reward you're after, guess what? You received your reward in full. Instead of wanting intimacy, instead of wanting maybe even the breakthrough in the end, my, 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 my concern is here, sometimes if that's all we're going for, we might feel like God's not answering our prayers. And actually, you know what the truth is? He says, well, I knew what you wanted. The reward that you wanted was to be seen by others. And guess what? I rewarded you. You were rewarded in full already with the thing that you really wanted. <laughs> Motive matters, right? Intimacy over image. Don't be concerned either, by the way, with just with having to say all the right things. I often feel like, especially if you're kind of newer to following Jesus, we get all concerned with, am I going to say exactly the right thing? Am I, is this the right words? What if I mess it up? You know what? God knows your heart. Isn't that beautiful? And so ironically, I think sometimes, and this is a beautiful irony, I think sometimes our clumsy, badly worded, you know, borderline heretical prayers that are like right out of the heart, right? We, just, we don't know all of our theology. We don't know all the cool, right things to say, but it's heartfelt, passion-filled, loving towards God, our, our, our baby steps towards Him. I think God smiles on that. And then sometimes our button-down, perfectly worded, but actually devoid of life, our sort of professional prayers. Do you know what I'm saying? Like when, when later on it's rote and it's like, oh, heaven help us. I would rather be this. 
the stumbling, bumbling child taking first steps and maybe not doing everything right, but wide-eyed reaching for my father, then know all the right things to say, but devoid of life and love. Number one, intimacy, not image. Number two, trust God cares. Secondly, trust that God cares. It says in verse seven, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. Gentiles was a kind of a Jewish expression for you know, the non-Jewish world. He's like, don't, don't babble on and on as people who don't know God do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. See, our prayers reveal a lot of uh, what we actually believe about God's heart toward us, right? Our prayers do. We don't have to put our trust in. There's nothing wrong with praying long. In fact, sometimes like really laboring and waiting in prayer is an important thing to do. But if, but if what that betrays or if that, or if, if that shows us that, that we have some conviction that long prayers is the way to twist the arm of God, that repeating ourselves over and over and over is necessary because God's not really listening or God's kind of busy up there or God doesn't probably care. But maybe if I'm annoying enough, no, no, no. Bible says he knows what you need even before you ask him. There's a place for persistence, but the persistence ought to come from faith, not from fear, right? All the world indifference. Here's a practical tip. This is something I've learned about prayer. And it kind of speaks a little bit to what I said in the first point about feeling like we don't always know the right words to say. Here's like a pro tip. <laughs> this is what I discovered. If you, want, you find yourself, as I often do, in situations where you don't even really know what to pray. Why do I pray? What's the right thing here? Or may, maybe you feel someone's like, I don't even know. What's God's will? There's one thing you can always pray and always walk in full authority in, and it's pray the word of God. A habit I have made is that when I pray as often as I can, my, my mind, my spirit is searching for Scripture. My spirit is searching for the promises of God. And in that moment, rather than pray my own words or my own thoughts or what I think would be good here, I pray with authority and confidence because I'm praying what I already know to be the will of God because it's the Word of God. And I declare into the atmosphere of my life or someone else's challenges or situations the Word and the will of God. This is all in the idea of trusting God cares. By the way, that comes from that first step as well as because when we, when we pursue intimacy, then we get to know God and his heart toward us. Then we have the confidence here to trust that God actually cares about me, that God sees me, that I matter to him. And then I pray differently as a result. It leads to our third thought, which is to talk to your father. When you pray, talk to God as father. By the way, I, you know what? It's one of the things that I notice about Jesus as he introduces the idea of God as father, which is really new. When you study the Old Testament, we really see God as the Lord, God Almighty. And of course, he's unchanging. He's all of those things. All knowing, all powerful, omnipresent, everywhere. This, the powerful God. And then, and then Jesus layers into this, this beautiful revelation that God is all those things creator of the universe, your God of angel armies, and yet Father. Jesus introduced, this is a new narrative into our understanding of God. And, and Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hmm. heavenly Father, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. So do our prayers reveal that we, we have a lived understanding that God is our Father? 
a father and that he's a good, good father. <laughs> There's another passage where Jesus says, you know, you earthly fathers, you know how to give good gifts. If your child asks you for bread, would you give them a stone? If they ask for fish, would you give them a scorpion? And then he goes on to say this. He's like, well, then how much more? How much more if you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your earthly children, broken and sinful as you are is the implication in your humanity, imperfect as you are. How much more do you suppose that your perfect heavenly father who abounds in love, who sacrifices for us, you know, he would spare not even his own son to redeem relationship with us. How much more? You know, years ago, I ain't got time to tell the story, but through a very powerful time of prayer, God showed me uh, in a beach where I was having a time of walking and praying with me. He showed me in a very stark way that um, I related to him as a servant and not as a son. I had a revelation of working for God. I had a revelation of servant-heartedness, of diligence, of, of works, but not of relationship. And he says to me, I want you to be a son that serves. Son is my identity, Right? Son and a father, son and, a, and yeah, amen. I mean, the expression is still works, but all the world of difference, when I'm working without a revelation of who and whose I am, when I am working, I, I could be working for love that I already have. Instead of working from love, knowing that I'm a son and that it's my pleasure to serve my father, knowing that I'm a son and out of the overflow of that identity, giving love offerings back to him of my gifts, my time, my talent, my treasure, all the world of difference. Mother Teresa, she said, prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God at his disposition and listening to his voice in the depths of our hearts. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Listening to his voice in the depths of our hearts. That's what it feels like to me when we talk about the picture of what God designed, that fatherhood to be in your life. So, so the question would be from Mother Teresa's statement here, what does your heavenly father want to speak into the depths of your heart today? That's what prayer is all about, amen? Number four is honor God. Honor God. Second half of that verse, I just read it. He says, pray like this, our father in heaven. Then he says, he adds this, he says, may your name be kept holy. To me, this speaks to honoring God. We talk to him as our heavenly father. And then there's this, this beautiful check that we have here to make sure that we don't mean father in the sense of over-familiarity. We don't mean father, you know, like maybe even the relationships of this earth where dishonor can creep in. No, we, 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 we relate to him as father with deep holiness. We relate to him as father with a deep sense of awe and wonder and honor. There's the passion, another modern translation of this verse puts it this way. He says, pray like this. Our Father dwelling in the heavenly realms, listen, may the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. I love that. It's a beautiful way of expressing it. I think it was the New King James that when I went to a Christian school, they used to read and it would say, um, hallowed be your name, which people thought was Harold. No, hallowed, hallowed, holy, kept holy, honored, revered, <laughs> held in awe, right? So, so as we pray and pursue intimacy with God, we should also hold the both and tension that he is deserving of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. He's a powerful God. He is a father and he is for us and he is a consuming fire. 
the God of angel armies. And so I want my prayers toward him to come from that place of honor and awe for who he is. Number five is seek his will. I hope this is helping some people here today. Simple principles of prayer. Are we seeking his will when we pray? Jesus says, may your kingdom come soon. And then he says this, he says, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come soon. May your will, your will, seek his will. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, this reminds me to shift my focus as I pray. Because oftentimes I come into prayer, if you're anything like me, you come into prayer with your will on your mind, right? What you need, what you want, what you're hoping is going to change, the breakthrough that you need. And I'm not saying that those things are wrong. In fact, those things might very well be the will of God, but it's important in my time of prayer that I am shifting my focus from my will and God, would you be like my fairy godmother and like, you know, do the Shazam thing over what I hope is going to happen. God, would you bless my plans and instead submit myself like Jesus in the garden sweating blood, knowing what's coming at the cross and saying, not my will, but yours be done. I shift my focus from my kingdom to his kingdom, from my will to his will, from earth to heaven and to eternity. And I pray very different prayers when I have all of that in in focus. And, And when I pray, if I say, your kingdom come, do I even have any idea what I mean when I'm saying that? What does it even look like for his kingdom to come? One of the troubles is prayers like this, centuries later, millennia later, can become almost cliche to us and we lose the beautiful meaning here. In fact, as we were putting together this message as a team, somebody wrote this. They said, we must fight the danger to let this statement, your kingdom come, become spiritual rhetoric instead of a deep revelation of the power of God. We are praying for God's kingdom to be unleashed on earth, in our cities, communities, workplaces, relationships, families. There is no sickness or addiction, demonic oppression, etc. in heaven. So when we pray, like Jesus taught us, we are praying big prayers for healing, for freedom, for deliverance, for breakthrough, for miracles. When we pray for his kingdom to come, we're embracing that both end tension of the now and the not yet of his kingdom. How much better for me to pursue God and seek a revelation of his will and ask myself, how do I join you in what you're doing? Rather than simply pray, here's what I want. God, would you answer and bless what I'm doing? No wonder John Wesley famously said, prayer is where the action is. Isn't that a good thought? Prayer is where the action is. In fact, 1 John 5.14 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything, listen, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have what we have asked of him. Number six, ask for what you need. Now, I was tempted to skip this because it seems like, uh, you know, it seems like, wow, what? But then if I'm honest, how often do I not do this? Not actually ask. Jesus says, what does he pray? He says, give us today the food we need. Another translation, give us this day our daily bread. What's he doing? He's, he's, he's teaching the disciples, ask. Ask for what you need. Speak it out loud. How often do we wish and not ask? How often do we complain and not ask? How often do we hint and not ask? I mean, on and on we go, right? Sometimes we will do anything but actually ask. And you know what? 
perhaps for some of us, that's about our culture or our family of origin, where it's kind of rude to ask. Or, you know, I, I came from a family that was very like conflict avoidant, like black belts in conflict avoidance, actually. So it was, it was culturally appropriate in my family to hint, but you definitely, you wanted people to have to read between the lines, whatever you were saying, even if it was really important, right? Of course, all that changed thanks to Jesus, but some of us still relate to God like that. He's saying, ask. Jesus is saying, ask in faith what you need. In fact, James 4, 2 says, if, he says, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war. Look at all the things we're doing instead of asking God. Take it and take it away from them. Yet, he says, you do not have what you want because you don't ask God for it. That's the key. Ask, ask God for it. Give us this day our daily bread. By the way, doesn't that speak to the rhythm again? Daily bread. This isn't like I pray once in a while or I pray in a crisis. Daily bread speaks to me like rhythm of life. Martin Luther He said, work, work from morning until late at night. In fact, I have so much to do. I shall have to spend the first three hours in prayer. (laughs) Now, what does that tell you about Martin Luther's conviction about how things get done in life? He has so much work. Some of us would think, I haven't got time to pray because I've got too much to do. He says the opposite. I have so much to do. I've got to pray for three hours if I'm going to get it all done, right? Number seven, receive forgiveness. Receive forgiveness. He says in verse uh, 12, the first part, he says, he says, and forgive us our sins. This is powerful because it acknowledges three things in that simple statement. Uh, first is that I've sinned. We can't receive forgiveness until we first acknowledge that we have in fact sins, sinned. I have sinned. And then, it, and then secondly acknowledges, firstly, I've, I've sinned. Secondly, I need forgiveness. And thirdly, it conveys that I believe that there is a God who desires to forgive me of my sins. Isn't it interesting that Jesus taught this prayer? Think about it for a minute. The only person that never needed to pray this for himself. Jesus, the only person that never sinned. That had nothing to confess and nothing to be forgiven for. He teaches because he knows all of us do need it. <laughs> so here's how you need to pray. Forgive us our sins. Second uh, Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves in that king. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will listen, forgive their sin and heal their land. Humility is so key to acknowledge our need and to turn to God. Two more. Forgive others, number eight. So first we receive forgiveness. He says, forgive us our sins. Then he says, as we have forgiven those who sin against us there's that rhythm again receiving and giving away freely we've received freely we give we can forgive because we've been forgiven in fact i would go further we must forgive because we have been forgiven forgiveness is the natural overflow of realizing how much we ourselves have been forgiven by the grace of god Matthew 5.44, Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's a life, a sacred rhythm of forgiveness. Last one. Number nine, submit to his teaching. He says at the end here, I love this, this thought. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us 
from the evil one. There's so much wrapped up in that thought, but I wanted to tease out this idea that this statement here really speaks to the leading of God. Lead us, lead us, God. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. God, lead us out of temptation. Am I letting him lead? A.W. Tozer said, to desire revival and at the same time to neglect personal prayer and devotion is to wish one way and walk another. So are we letting him lead? God, I want this, but I live that. Okay, God, lead me. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me. God, deliver me from, from the evil one. It's like dancing, right? I'm a hopeless dancer. One thing I know about dancing is you can't both lead, right? <laughs> or there's a lot of toes being stepped on. And I feel like in my relationship with God, I need to keep on treasuring, letting him lead. That's when the rhythm of grace flows in my life. Sometimes I'll say, God, you know, speak to me. And he'll say something that I didn't want to hear. And I'm like, got anything else? You know, I'm not letting him lead. Or he doesn't answer the way that I want or when I want. And am I, am I letting him lead? Deliverance is found in following Jesus and in letting him lead in every area of my life. Some, one or two of the worship team come join me. I, 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 um, I want to call us to action. I want us to call us to prayer as a church. What if we made a decision to even begin today to devote time to prayer? What would break out in our lives if we embrace prayer as a daily rhythm of life? Not just to know about prayer or believe that prayer is good, or ask others to pray for us, which is all good and all healthy. But actually, God desires relationship with you. We need to pray. What would it look like for you to make a decision, even here and now, to prioritize prayer in your life and make it part of the rhythm of your life, to, to pray daily? What would it look like, you know, to make a commitment to receive prayer? Maybe there's fear around prayer for you. You know, one of the beautiful things about our church, in every community that we have, every Liberty community around the world, we have a prayer team who gifted to pray, love to pray. Their gift to the body of Christ is their prayer. They're going to be here right after the service today. They would love to minister to you in this. Maybe impart something to you in this, a passion for prayer. I just believe with all my heart that we are called as a people to cultivate a sacred rhythm of prayer that draws us into a relationship with God and shapes us from the inside out. Let me read you one more scripture before I close and pray. Psalm 145 verse 18 says this, The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. <laughs> 